Here's what's coming up on today's episode of Your Tagline Here. Finding the money side of it is, okay. is definitely the most, <laughs> the, most, the most challenging part. A 30 megawatt solar farm, so the sort of minimum size that we build, is, is 20 million capital expended, you know, CapEx, capital wow. cost. Okay. You know, you, do, you have to do everything at the beginning. Yeah. You know, you have to clean the toilet and go and, <laughs> and, go and meet the investor on yeah. Palmal about, you know, lending you a few million quid and you probably have to do it in the same day. Well, I'm planning to cycle from Bristol to Mallorca. Wow. Uh, not including the watery bits, as, yeah. as the comedians amongst my friends point out. <laughs> um, uh, I'll be on a ferry for those bits. But um, yeah, so actually, um, well, two, two years ago today, actually, I lost my brother to cancer. Uh, and he was, Jan, was, uh, was a very keen cyclist. I'm doing it for him and hope, hoping to raise a lot of money for St. Peter's Hospice in Bristol, which was where he, uh, where he was supported to, towards the end of his life. An amazing... You know, just you can't believe what that place is like and the mm. staff and what they do day after day is nothing short of miraculous. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to your tagline here with me, Simon Tomlinson. This is a very special episode of the show for two reasons. Firstly, it is the first episode that has been filmed in the guest's own home, which was in a lovely rural setting near Bath. And secondly, because there's two parts to the episode and two different taglines. In the first half of the podcast, I talked to Owen about his renewable energy business called Climate ER. I find out how he set it up and how he goes about getting investments of £20 million per project. And in the second half of the show, Owen explains why he is about to embark on an epic thousand-mile bike ride from Bristol to Mallorca in memory of his brother Jan, who sadly passed away two years ago to cancer. It's a great episode and I really hope that you enjoy it too. But before we get into the episode, I'd just like to mention our sponsor KickLab, which is a digital marketing company based in Birmingham in the UK. KickLab have over 15 years experience and specialise in branding, websites, digital marketing, social media and more. So if you want to grow your business online, just head over to kicklab.com, which is K-I-K-L-A-B.com. Okay, let's get started with the episode and meet Owen. If you like the episode, then please do make sure you give us a thumbs up and subscribe so you don't miss out on future content. Hello, Owen. Welcome, Hi. welcome to the podcast. It's good to have you here. It's good to be here, Simon, and <laughs> in my own living room. <laughs> and thank you for allowing us to come down to your living room and film it in your lovely property in the middle of the countryside in Bath. So we're here today to talk about your business, Climate ER. Can you tell me more about it? So what is Climate ER? Um, well, Climate ER is a development company developing renewable energy plant, uh, mainly solar farms, uh, and some battery storage. Um, battery storage is what it is what it says on the tin. Uh, so the, the one of the issues with renewable energy is you use it or lose it. You can't turn okay. it on and off. 
So when the wind's blowing, you're generating a lot of electricity and when the sun's shining, um, but if it's not being used, it, it just gets lost. So one way of balancing the electricity network in the grid is to have big batteries, so which are, which are basically just like an electric car battery, but in a in a big storage container and lots of them. So with the uh, wind turbines, is it the energy that's uh, taken from those wind turbines that's then stored in the batteries that can then be put into the grid when it's required? That's right. So if a wind farm was generating a lot of electricity during the night when there's not a lot of demand, then the batteries would soak up the electricity. And then when everybody puts the kettle on in the morning, the electricity get discharged to, to pop your toast up. Which sounds like a great thing to do to help us meet the climate change targets that we have in the UK. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the grid, the electricity grid is creaking, really. It's not fit for purpose. It was designed, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago for mm. big decentralised coal and gas power plants. And what you've got now are lots of little electricity generating stations. You've got a little solar farm, a little wind farm, you know, hydro, uh, biofuel, uh, renewable electricity stations. So, yeah, it needs it needs something to balance that that grid out. Yeah, and I, I think it's great that people like you are helping to take the energy network into the twenty first century and into the future. Because if it's if we stay the way that we are or have been in the past, then we won't meet those climate. Uh, change targets that we have yeah uh so we we deal primarily with onshore uh power plants so okay. on, onshore solar farm wind farm um the uk does rely heavily on offshore wind which is a whole other kettle of fish if you pardon the marine pun <laughs> um you know the cost of that and the and the complication of it you know racks up quite considerably um so a lot of the renewable energy in the uk at the moment is coming from offshore wind, yeah. But the cost of that electricity, the cost of generating that electricity, is much higher um, than onshore facilities for fairly obvious reasons. Mm. If, you, if you've got to put foundations under under the sea on the seabed, hundred meters down, you know, with cables coming in from thirty miles offshore to enormous substations on the coast, you know, the cost of building that is is pretty high. Yeah, but I imagine that there's other challenges that come with building wind farms onshore because I imagine it's something that local residents don't want in their back garden. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this isn't a political podcast, right? But <laughs> uh, yeah, certainly historically there's been, uh, there's been resistance to onshore, well, solar farms and wind farms uh, onshore because by their nature they need to be uh they need to be in the countryside and you tend to find that the you know the more affluent uh sections of the of society live in the countryside and they don't want their yeah. their view spoiled or they don't want a perception that their view is being spoiled yeah so um what is your role in the business what is it that you do um well i founded the business so i'm uh, i guess i'm the founder <laughs> uh and you could call me the ceo but uh i don't give myself that title. There's only two of us. Um, so, uh, and I'm the planning, uh, the kind of physical development planning side of the business. So 
Uh, my focus is on finding the right land, developing the right relationships with the landowners, um, putting together the nuts and bolts of a project so that it it has all of the attributes for a for a successful project. And that's you know where, where solar farms are concerned is is it sunny? Uh, you know, is it relatively uh, cheap or not expensive to build it? So is the terrain uh, you know relatively straightforward? things like access um, and things like ecology come into play quite a lot because you're taking what what has been a, a greenfield site, a, you know, farmers' fields, essentially agricultural fields, um, and you're putting what is a, a more industrial use uh, on that land, albeit it's relatively benign. You know, it's got it, it's not like a wind fire. It's got moving parts. doesn't make any noise. Um and actually what we tend to find uh, is over time, over sort of five or six years of a solar farm, you're essentially turning it into a mini nature reserve because you're taking something that was in relatively intensive agriculture okay, with lots of pesticides and, and chemicals and, and, you know, not a lot, not very biodiverse uh, from a wildlife perspective. And you're effectively fencing it off and letting it do its own thing. Uh, and you tend to find actually they become far more biodiverse okay. when they become a, a solar farm than they were when they were under agriculture. Yeah. So there's there's lots of other benefits rather yeah. than just generating energy. It's, yeah. it's good for, for the environment and the, the biodiversity. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. When you set up the business, how how did you go about doing that? Because it sounds like a, a difficult business to set up in the first place. Yeah, well, uh, there's it's an ex, it's an expensive process developing large scale. You know, this is utility scale solar farms. So, the kind of projects we work on and that we develop are so utility scale measured in megawatts yeah. of electricity, and and we develop anything from sort of thirty to fifty megawatt solar farms. So a 30 megawatt solar farm will generate enough electricity in a year to power seven or 8,000 homes, average homes, to give you an idea of, of the, the quantum. Um, and obviously a 50 megawatt solar farm is you know well over 10,000, 12,000 homes. So it's, it, okay. it's a lot of electricity. And how much would one of those farms typically cost to build? Yeah, so well, you're looking at about twenty, uh, you know, thir- a thirty megawatt solar farm. So the sort of minimum size that we build is is twenty million capital expended, you know, capex capital wow. cost okay. uh, of building. It's <laughs> a lot of money. Yeah, and I think what I've, you know, when I say it's it's kind of complicated, it's complicated because there's a lot of money involved. Uh, so there are a lot of lenders involved you know the investors in if you're going to invest 20 million pounds in something you you know your lawyers are going to crawl all over it (laughs) yeah uh and everything that we do has to be kind of squeaky clean in terms of due diligence and uh to stand up to scrutiny from from the investors okay and it was a question that I was going to ask you was about how do you get get the funding so you get them you get that funding from investors but what kind of investors would they typically be um well two kinds really typically you've got the other larger renewable energy companies so um we did 
uh, we did talk to Shell recently, uh, who were looking to invest in the UK. So there are there are very big players in the energy market, but they don't particularly know uh, the intricacies of the UK market, and they don't know the intricacies of the UK renewable energy market. So they bring the money, um, and we bring the expertise, and, and you put the two together to, okay. to, to generate the projects. Um, or it tends to be private equity uh, finance um, from from capital investment houses. The ultimate owners of, of solar farms tend, to, well, and all renewable energy facilities tend to be pension funds because it's a very stable okay. asset with a with a stable income uh, that you can you know you can you can predict uh, and forecast over over a period of time. They have a set lifetime of. 35 or 40 years okay and that brings a set return and it's a nice stable investment for for pension funds you know with seven or eight percent return something like that okay and once it's connected to the grid then you you're the per, the company who's providing you with the income is a very stable company that's going to be able to do that yeah well yeah exactly yeah I mean there are there are two parts to to the to the development process one is uh the early development so getting the planning permission you know that that's what adds the value to the to the project is putting all those pieces together that i talked about before you know the land and the and the various nuts and bolts of the planning Mm. process um and then the big jump in value of the project is when it gains planning permission um and then obviously it jumps again in value once it's been built and is is generating electricity uh, so what would you say have been the biggest challenges getting the business set up in the first place and getting it to a point where it's generating income? Finding the money side of it is okay. is definitely the most <laughs> the most the most challenging part. Uh, or I should say probably finding an investment structure that is attractive for us, you know, there there are there's quite a lot of uh, of investment capital available and, and increasingly so now, you know, with with net zero targets, you know, legally binding targets. Um, there's there's a lot of activity in the market, but you know, as with any investment, it's it's the return on their investment and whether that's attractive mm. for us in terms of what they take. Uh, you know the slice of the pie that the investor takes, and, and what's left for us. Uh, so, and that that's kind of constantly changing. Really, we're always talking to different investors uh, about different uh, structures to to that investment. Yeah, and it sounds like it's there. There must be a lot of work there because you you said that. It's only two people in the company. Yeah. So to to try and get all of that investment coming in, and also to manage the projects as well. Yeah. That's that's a lot of work yeah. that you have to manage between two people. Yeah. Well, that's a very astute observation, Simon. <laughs> so you must uh, be a busy and, man, and, and very and very accurate. I think because we're quite a young company, you know, we, the company was formed two and a half years ago. Um, Terence, my business partner, and I, you know, we've both been in the industry for much longer, but the, the company itself 
was formed relatively recently. So I think we've, you know, there's been a lot of focus on that investment piece uh, and and getting the right investment deal. And I think we're, you know, I think we're getting there. I think hopefully in the next couple of months we'll have, you know, a really good deal signed that then means we, you know, that will take a lot of pressure off and, a, and release a lot of capacity in the business to actually go out and do okay. the development. But yeah, certainly in the early stages, and I'm sure, you know, you've had lots of other people who run their own business saying that, you, you know, you do, you have to do everything at the beginning. Yeah. You know, you have to clean the toilet and go and, <laughs> and go in and meet the investor on yeah. pal mal about, you know, lending you a few million quid and you probably have to do it in the same day. <laughs> uh, yeah. And especially at the, the start of setting up a business, then um there's there are so many things to do and there's there's also a lot of um pressure both financially and in in terms of um trying to trying to make it work and trying to to bring that money in what would you say the biggest lessons are that you've learned that if there's anyone looking to set up their own business where they need to get investment for for whatever it might be are there any lessons that you've learned that other people might be able to take on it's difficult I've, you know i remember getting the same advice and it's difficult to take it at the at the beginning to to sort of believe it but um you know i remember people saying to me when we were starting out you know just be confident you know you know more than you think you know and you're more capable than you think you are it's difficult when you're at the beginning because you don't feel that but absolutely you know that advice mm. rings true um I think from a from an investment perspective, you know, in the kind of investment arena that we're working in, I've definitely learned that contracts and the legal side of things uh, is really important. And having a, you know, having a a good a good lawyer uh, okay. on your side is is you know you can't you can't go into big transaction big investment transactions and try and do it yourself. Mm. I think, you know, we tried to do that uh, and sort of do it on a shoestring. Um, and we, we've learned through painful experience through one of the contracts is, you know, it only takes a couple of words out of place in a particular okay. clause of a 48 page contract. And those two words, you know, have literally meant the difference between half a million quid and, and, and not, Oh wow! <laughs> you know, in the business, so you know that's quite a painful lesson. <laughs> that's quite a painful lesson to learn. But uh, so yeah, I think I think the attention to detail and having the right, you know, it might not be lawyers, but having definitely having the right advice in the business. And I think because we're only a two-person business, we have struggled a bit sometimes to reach sort of mutual decisions because you've only got one other person to bounce off. Okay. And if you but if you both have a difference of opinion, there's no casting vote, there's nobody else. So I think, you know, we're we're looking at uh, perhaps getting a non exec, you know, non executive director type person to sit in the middle and, and resolve some of those issues when mm. when we have them. Thankfully it doesn't come up very often. We we generally agree, but when we don't it's it's difficult. Yeah, and I know that you've worked in the renewable energy industry for a long time. Do you think that you could have set up this business if you didn't have that previous history working in the industry? 
No, because okay. I mean, it's, you know, it's pretty, I'm sure everybody says this about their own sector and their own industry, right? But it, it is, uh, it's pretty niche. You know, I don't think, uh, I don't think it's, it's, it's probably not possible to do that. No. And I mean, you could, you know, you could, you could, you could bring one half of the expertise, you know, you bring the money mm. or the, or the development expertise, but, but to put it all together, I think you do have to have, you do have to have that experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm, I'm sure that there's some businesses where you don't necessarily need to have that much experience, but I, it, with with yours, it sounds like you you absolutely do, and I think with any kind of business, it it definitely helps if you've got experience in whatever that industry is. Yeah, it would just be bloody hard work, I think, <laughs> if you didn't. Uh, so yeah, I'd recommend anybody thinking about <laughs> doing renewable energy development who doesn't know anything about it. Probably don't 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 do that. Uh, so what are, what are your plans for the future uh, with climate ER? Well, like I say, hopefully we are signing an investment deal in the next sort of few months, uh, and that will give us that's a two or three year deal, basically. So that will give us um, development capital to to kind of put all the company development stuff to bed for a little while, uh, and just just get on with the the day job of of actually developing the projects. So um, we got a fairly ambitious. Uh, target of of kind of developing, um, you know, around ten projects a year okay. over over that two or three year period, um, which in terms of megawatts is anything between sort of eight hundred megawatts and and a thousand megawatts. Okay, a thousand megawatts being a gigawatt. Um, so yeah, it's kind of it, it's it's exciting times. It's a bit daunting, but yeah. Yeah, well, it sounds great that you've got so many uh, projects on the go and such big plans for the future. And I, I also think it's great for for the environment that there are businesses like this which are actually trying to uh, to make a difference. Yeah, well, thank you. Yeah, um, is there anything else that you think that the UK could be doing to help us to meet the climate change targets in the future? Yeah, well, obviously, banning plastic straws is is a very important part. No, I'm I'm joking. That's that's a running joke between us, isn't it? So, <laughs> yeah. Um, don't start me on banning plastic straws. Um, I think, you know, the, the the I mean, it's not the right time to be talking about government investment, mm. right? But you know, the the some of the real barriers to to going fully net zero quicker um are around things like the you know the electricity grid you know the the pylons and the overhead okay. lines that you see are just um and the way that's split up into the distribution the electricity distribution network it just doesn't work for lots of little electricity generating stations like i said before it's designed for drax coal-fired power station over yeah. there and a massive one over there and it's all pumped across in in massive high voltage pylons but it's not designed so the nuts and bolts of that are that it it's very expensive for companies like us to connect what is a relatively small solar farm into that network because it generally requires a lot of work to the network to be able to do that okay um and at the moment government don't put any of that money into upgrading the network all of that is passed on to the private developer so it's you know we could be 
we could be accelerating that a lot quicker if there if there was if there was more government investment in that. Mm, yeah, it it sounds like there are some big changes that need to happen to the way that we manage the uh, energy networks in in the UK. Yeah, I mean it's a massive uh, it is a massive challenge, and even even you know even the kind of electricity renewable energy boffins I think probably accept that you know it's there's there's no there's no silver bullet because what's happening is that electricity demand is going up at the same time as we we need to reduce carbon emissions mm. and and decarbonize um you know we're just using more and more electricity for for partly as de- as part of the decarbonization agenda mm. but also just as a society yeah uh, so i think there's there's lots of things that uh, the government can do there's lots of things that businesses can do but there's also lots of things that um individuals can do as well yeah. um so now owen i want to talk to you about something different because i've heard on the grapevine oh. that you're doing an epic bike ride for charity so can you tell me what it is that you're doing yes uh, well, it's very kind of you to ask, Simon. The grapevine, uh, the grapevine is noisy. Um, yeah, so I'm well. I'm planning to cycle from Bristol to Mallorca. Wow! Uh, not including the watery bits, as, yeah. as the comedians amongst my friends point out. <laughs> um, uh, I'll be on a ferry for those bits. But um, yeah, so actually. Um, well, two two years ago today, actually, I lost my brother to cancer, uh, and he was Jan was uh, was a very keen cyclist, and he he loved um, his favourite place to to go cycling was Mallorca. So he would uh, he'd take his bike over or, or hire a bike, and he'd, he'd cycle up the mountains. There's some quite I've never been a biker, really. I think before I started training for this epic trip, the furthest I'd ridden was twenty minutes to Tesco's and back to <laughs> um, uh, to get a pack of donuts, probably. So, but there are some some fairly well known passes and mountain passes in in Mallorca that are sort of okay. cycling meccas. Um, and he actually built a bike. Uh, he he built his own bikes for his cycling endeavors and he built a bike that he was going to uh undertake the same trip on uh and he never got to do that so um i'm doing it for him and hope hoping to raise a lot of money for st peter's hospice in bristol which was where he uh where he was supported to, towards the end of his life an amazing you know just you can't believe what that place is like and the mm. staff and what they do day after day is nothing short of miraculous so um yeah split splitting the money between st peter's hospice in bristol and um cancer research uk so mm. it's it's 1200 miles maybe wow. 1300 depending on which route i take over how many days uh well <laughs> that depends how many miles i can cycle a day how many so how many miles do you think that you will be able to cycle well i think in the first week i'm gonna not not 
push myself too hard because I've been, everybody tells me I'm not quite ready. Okay. Uh, and so. And when is it that you leave? Uh, middle of September. Okay. Uh, with a view to arriving. So about a month left to go. Just yeah, over. Yeah. For about five weeks. Okay. About five weeks. Um, yeah. But it's going to be all over social media. So everybody will get to. To see it, and have you got your um, your Twitter and your Instagram handles? Do you yes. know what they are? Yeah, so okay. it's it's ride for Yan, okay, uh, or R4Y, R4Y, R numeral four Y, hashtag R four Y for the kids. Yeah, which is something I'm learning all about, uh, and which you're kindly helping me. <laughs> yeah, with. Yeah, so I'm going to give you a social media lesson. Yeah, yeah, great. <laughs> Well, I I think it's a truly amazing thing that you're doing. Um, it's a, a massive challenge. Um, and I know that you've been putting a lot of work in on the Peloton bike, which is just over there. Yes. Um, putting uh, in, in the miles. I, I spend many a sweaty evening with Jess <laughs> King from Peloton. I'm, I'm sure that you you will achieve it. And, and I, I hope that you raise loads of money in the process for what are really, really good causes that can help a lot of people in the future um so yeah i think it's an amazing thing and and good luck um with 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 doing it and i look forward to uh uh, keeping up with the progress so i will be following you and checking up on on how you're doing amazing um so yeah i look forward to to seeing i'm sure there'll be some minor calamities and comedy (laughs) moments and dramatic moments but yeah it'll be uh It'll be a very interesting trip for sure. Well, thank you, Owen, for being on the podcast. The thank you. The final question yes. is, what is your tagline? What is my tagline? For this episode. And can we have two taglines, actually? Yeah. I didn't prepare you with this. I want. I would like one tagline for the energy, the renewable energy industry work that you do. Yeah. And one tagline for the bike ride. For the bike ride. Yeah, okay. Well, the renewable energy one's easy. Yeah. Uh, so that's developing energy that won't cost the earth. Nice. I like it. Yeah. Works every way. <laughs> uh, and, well, yeah, tagline for the bike ride. Uh, well, it could be ride for Jan. Yeah. Yeah. Ride, ride for Jan, I think. Nice. Yeah, well, it's, it's I'm I'm embodying his spirit, so you know, uh, so yeah, that's very fitting, I think. Yeah, yeah. ride for Jan, definitely. Yeah. And this is the first time I've ever let anyone have two taglines. Okay, well, so. I feel incredibly privileged, <laughs> Simon. Thank you. Uh, so yeah, uh, thank you so much for um, allowing us to film the podcast in your wonderful home in the lovely countryside in Bath. And um, yeah, thanks for sharing your story about uh, the renewable energy industry, uh, but also the uh, the charity work that you're doing as well. Thank you. You're very welcome. It's been a pleasure. I hope you enjoyed that episode with Owen. Next week, we'll be speaking with Eamon, who runs a customer marketing business called Hive. To make sure you don't miss out on this episode and all future content, just make sure you subscribe to the channel and I will see you next time. Thank <laughs> you.